God, I can't believe it. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Yes, it's me, James Roast, and this is The Happiness Algorithm. We're back for another episode where we'll be talking all things mental health, all things emotional well-being, what we can do to make us that little bit happier for the week ahead. Got an amazing guest lined up for you. And of course, we'll be kicking off the show with what have I been reading this week. Well, hopefully that gave you enough time to uh, make yourself a cup of tea, get yourself some refreshments, sit down, kick back, relax for the next two hours-ish, there or thereabouts. Well, as I say, we'll be sharing advice and tips and looking at ways that we can make us uh, that little bit happier, improve our life for this coming week ahead. I'll be joined in the studio shortly by my guest this week, which is Gary Dudman, my fellow uh, presenter here on uh, Phoenix FM. He hosts the Another Show on a Sunday night. He will tell us a little bit more about that. And those of you that uh, tuned into the show that Gary joined me at the back end of last year will will know that it was a... it was it was an incredible story he shared with us, and uh, and he'll be concluding that for us today, and also, um, and also telling us about the time from when I last saw him to now, and what that time period has been like. Letting us know a bit about his show, and you know the day to day struggles that we all go through. So we're here. It's another week. It's another happiness algorithm. Uh, let's kick things off with what have I been reading? Let's have a little bit of background music. So what have I been reading this week? Okay, so a really interesting article from Psychology Today, and it was entitled, How to Get More Pleasure Out of Everyday Life. So we spoke last week about finding silence in the day, and it really sort of bridges that or follows on from that, really. But it focuses in on um, being a better self-observer. Those that were listening to Michelle's show uh, know that I mentioned this, uh, what was coming up, and it's about self-observation. Um, and it says, in the bluster and busyness of life today, it's easy to miss out on opportunities for pleasure that are hidden in plain sight. We said before last week about that invisibility of demands. Uh, by becoming a better self-observer, you can better capitalise on these. Here are some tips for getting more pleasure out of all the things you do in everyday life. So number one, pens at the ready. Number one is pay close attention to the experiences that feel good. Recognize how good it feels to take a stroll in the sunshine or finally get around to a task that you've been putting off. 
So the experiment that I want you to try this week, just for one day during the week and one day at the weekend, keep an hourly journal of any experience that gives you any dose of positive emotions, even fleetingly. Set your phone alarm to beep every hour to remind yourself to record in that moment what you're doing and how you're feeling. Count everything and pay particular attention to the sensory events like sitting in a sunny spot under the window or getting into uh, clean sheets. We all know what that feels like. Lovely when you've got a nice clean bed. Um, Include relief from negative emotions as well. Like finally solving a difficult problem, whether you're at work or at home. Um, Anything that you're wrestling with record that include positive emotions you feel from getting basic things done like housework personal care grooming jobs anything that feels satisfying from you it delivers a sense of mastery so that's number one so one day during the week and one day at the weekend uh, every hour just track the narrative track those emotions what you're feeling so we're really drilling into it so that we're moving away from that autonomous being that we are um number two understand the types of pleasure uh, that for you are susceptible to head, hedonic adaption. Okay, so hedonic adaption, what are we talking about? These are pleasurable experiences that get um, less pleasurable the more we do them. So when you get to that fourth cookie or that second glass of wine, it don't taste quite as good as the first. So that's that hedonic adaption, okay? If you're a good observer, you can pay attention to these processes, and you can, begin, uh, you can begin to track when it starts to wane somewhat. So the experiment here I want you to do is to check results from, your first, from experiment one and note the experiences that are adding the pleasure and those that are beginning to wane, those that are beginning to not give you the return that, you fir- that they first were in their first instance. Um, so a uh, wonderful example during the piece here, it says, for instance, they, the, the individual loved the way that their kids always looked happy in the morning when they got up, um, and that never got old. But it's easy for the distractions of the day to rob us of that. Uh, we said before when I was on Mich- uh, Michelle's show that what we can often do is invite the rest of the world in. My guest last week, Lee Glynn, spoke a lot about social media and how we pick our phone up first thing in the morning, and it robs us uh, of, of our reset point at the start of the day. So again, look at those bits that are uh, delivering pleasure and also identify the behaviours and habits that are also beginning to sort of tire somewhat. Number three, let's whiz through these last. We're only up to five, so let's, because I want to get my guest on as quick as possible. Number three is spot when the effects of uh, normally pleasurable activities are diminishing. So we all like watching our favorite programs. Uh, We all like doing certain activities. When this starts to tire somewhat, don't feel as though you need to completely change it, but certainly mix it up a little bit. Just mix it up and revisit it, and you'll feel, you'll find uh, that actually the pleasure that it was once delivering will return. Uh, explore getting satisfaction from, from completing jobs like housework. Um, I'm not saying every task you do will feel satisfying, uh, but try and increase your understanding about it. Uh, we have got number, where are we? Number four. Number four is savour the pleasure of getting things done. And number five is notice mixed emotional experiences and accentuate the positive. Have you ever played with your kids when you're uh, when when they're really young um, and they like the repetitive nature of games quite often? I know my kids, uh, my younger ones do as well, again, 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 again. Um, this is what we can, we can often tire as adults. That's the negative aspect. But what we're not doing is we're not acknowledging with the, uh, the pleasure, the secondary burst of pleasure aspect, seeing the smile on their face as well. So some of those repetitive activities that we're doing, either with our children or in work, see if we we can begin to accentuate the uh, 
the uh, contrast in emotions that are sharing the same space um, and start to note them down as well. So again, it's all about record keeping this week. It's all about keeping a diary and it's all about um, being a, a more self-observant about some of our activities. So without further ado, let's kick things off for today's show. Um, and I want to welcome back to the show, Gary Dudman. Hi, Gary. Hi, James. Uh, it's great to have you back in. Um, and uh, it's been, well, it's been hard. To, to, yeah. I mean, it was a great response uh, after the first show that we was on and, and we spoke and said that we need to, we definitely need to get a part two conversation. Mm -hmm. It definitely needs concluding. And I'm so pleased that we've managed to do that uh, today and, and the listeners can, can share in this. Now, what I must say to kick things off, as you quite yeah. rightly know, I've, I've sat in uh, sat in the seat and it looks like the um, the computer's gonna, gonna, <laughs> gonna mess us up today. Because yeah. as you all know, listeners, that I do like my guests to pick three songs, three songs that are important to them. Gary's thought long and hard about these. Now, mm. obviously, these will be songs four, five, and six for Gary because he's a returning guest. <laughs> yeah. um, so he did labor over these and think quite carefully. Um, I'm hoping as yeah. the show goes on, the computer decides to play ball and we can load those yeah, up. Yeah, it might do. You know me, I can cover, you know, sort of well, five, 10, say, 15 yeah, minutes while, yeah, you're, while you're having yeah, to yeah. work it all out and then just sort of chat away. Exactly, exactly. So we'll see how we go. But um, thank you for coming back, Gary. Um, for those that missed uh, your first show, the first time you joined me, um, give us a little bit of background about who you are, and what we discussed. Oh, wow. <laughs> so that's, it, it, that's a very all-encompassing uh, question, and, and I don't know how to answer that succinctly. <laughs> and, um, yeah, a nice potted version. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I suppose, what was the purpose uh, of the show? I think that's probably a better way mm. to, to kind of answer your question. The purpose of why I came on to your show last time was to highlight to people that even from the outside, people might look fine and they might be smiling and they might seem happy, but you never know what they've been going through. You don't know if they've just failed an exam. You don't know if they've had a traumatic upbringing. You don't know any of that. And what I wanted to show people was that even somebody like me, who seems to be somebody that's ultra confident and always smiling and always happy and always cracking jokes, even I am suffering, you know, even, so just because people look like they're okay, maybe they're not. And I've, as, as we discovered last time, you know, I've grown up in isolation and, you know, the theme of my life has been isolation and abandonment. And what I wanted to do, because I've never really been able to do it, is to discuss what, although I must admit, not in all of its its uh, sort of detail and and. and you know, sort of unglorified uh, sort of circumstances. You know, certain things obviously still left out, um, but talking more than I ever had to show people that, you know, again, you, know, you can you can talk about it. You know, it's okay. And you never know if it's going to make you feel better until you try, you know, until you until you speak about it, you know, until you open up. So that's that, that was why I came in, is to show people that here I am, a guy that, you know, I've got, two kids, you know, two and under, you know, I, I, I live in Brentwood, which is a nice area to, to live in. You know, I've got a degree, I've, you know, I'm not, 
so I'm you know, reasonably well educated but actually when that's just the surface level that's what you see through the window you know but once you step in to the house you, you realize that actually I'm, I'm a guy that was brought up by abusive parents and abusive grandparents and I've never had any emotional support from my parents or, or indeed any financial support I left home uh, between 17 and 18 you know I have been a theme of my life being let down you know constantly throughout and, and quite possibly that has been what has sort of molded me into the person you know that I am today and the reason I react to things uh, the way that I do and yeah and, and even though as I said it looks on the surface uh, that, that I'm okay. I, I've actually been through a lot of trauma and I don't want to say more than anybody else because again, I don't know everybody's story, but I know that I've been through more trauma than those within my circle have been through. And usually those that I speak to uh, have been through. So I think it's it's something that has, it, it's affected me and it, it affects me daily, you know, and, and, it, and it's something that, you know, I use the expression with you. I, I often feel like I'm I'm broken, you know, and I, and I can't be fixed. I've been through too much trauma. And even though I, I don't necessarily stop and think about it, so I might not think about, you know, the time that I was locked in a bedroom and starved and, and things like that. That might not necessarily be going from my brain, but I could just be walking along absolutely fine. And then like a, somebody's flipped a switch, nothing can happen to me so no, nobody has to say anything to me I don't have to see anything I don't have to be thinking or anything but suddenly I'm in this dark place and I, and I don't understand why it happens because there's no reason or rhyme to it it's not like I've been festering on a, on a fault or I've been thinking about allowing sort of past traumas to to come up and, and affect me um, but what I I notice that when that happens I just I want to be away I don't I don't want anybody around me at all. I just want to disappear, mm. you know, um, as if that's the answer, you know, to, to my problems. So um, hopefully that kind of gives people a bit of a an understanding of who I am, you know, um, or, or what more importantly, what I'm bringing to the table mm. coming to this show. Well, it is. I think you mentioned there, there's that sense of um, isolation, abandonment, being let down. And I think these are things that that a lot of people can relate to. And I think these are emotions that that we experience that are that are quite sharp and quite heavy emotions as well. And yeah. and although, um, as you say, although explicitly people may have not been through what you've been through, mm. they can certainly connect with some of these these uh, yeah. emotions. What you're naming as well. Yeah. For me, what's what's interesting and and um, what I wanted to explore was you know because we're up to that where we left last time was was a pretty significant point in your life back in 2018 was it uh, the christmas or 2017 it, it was yeah when i went um so so what happened um so I, if i if i take you back a little bit because mm. i, I kind of had to speed through to to get to that that stage um so what i wanted to do today was really kind of look at essentially what would encompass the last five years of my life so we know that I had lots of trauma mm. we know that I had lots of abandonment and abuse you know I've, I've experienced every form of abuse that is possible um, and what now I, I was able to distance myself from from people and distance myself from those problems and um, 
the reason I want to compass the last five years is because I was at a stage in my life where the trauma, I suppose, and those kind of things have were supposed to have ended, you know. And I then went through, without realising it really, and I suppose, you know, one of the things we were going to talk about today was, you know, what I've been up to the last month. And coming on your show has made me kind of have to think a lot, you know, about have I really handled what happened to me, certainly over the last couple of years? How is it affecting me? How is it affecting me? Now, so if we go back five years ago, I was was married. Um, I was uh, living in my own place. I had minimal contact um, with my my um, dad. At the, you know, he was the only, the only parent I spoke to minimally at the time. I had no interaction with my grandparents or, or anything like that. Um, and I think, as I mentioned to you, at my my wedding. Um, my mum didn't come to my wedding. Um, my um, my grandparents, my dad's parents didn't. Uh, actually, both sets of my grandparents didn't come. So my mum's parents didn't come, and my dad's parents didn't come. And um, actually, the reason that my dad's parents gave me was they were too old to come. Uh, but then two years later, they went to my cousin's wedding. Uh, that was further away and required them to stay overnight. But then that that was the theme. Of, of my relationship with them and, and actually something that I will... How did that make you feel? Terrible, terrible. Um, I recently actually had a, a bit of a situation um, with that, that side of the family. So my, my dad, um, because this is, this is, I suppose actually, I'm not going to go through that now. I'm going to go through the five years because it is all encompassing sure. uh, of that part. Yeah. So, so I'd been married, they hadn't been, they'd let me down yet again. I mean, my, my dad's parents went to court to help him to not have to see us, you know, as when we were kids. And if you look at my history, they never have called me. And when my dad disappeared for 10 years, I didn't hear from them. They didn't reach out to us or, or anything like that. Um, so it was just a continuation of, of this, the way they treated me of like, you know, you're not as good as your cousins. We don't care about you uh, as much as because I mean, when I was younger, I remember once staying uh, at my aunt's place and my my nan used to essentially live there to to be around my my cousins all the time and uh, in the morning my granddad went to a boot sale and he came back with two toys both for my cousins and nothing for me and uh, they were like you know those snake things where you you kind of and uh, i remember my mum really losing her temper when she came to pick me up because she was saying look he's and i'm the oldest as well and she was saying how, you know, he's aware of what's happening. You know, he understands that you're treating him differently to his cousins. He understands. And he tried giving her 50p and said, no, I'll buy him, buy him something with that. And she said, you, you don't get it. You know, it's, it's the fact that you deliberately choose to, to treat his cousins differently to him. And obviously, so that, that was a theme with those grandparents. So the fact that they didn't come to my wedding and then two years later went to my cousins didn't surprise me. You know, it upset me, but it didn't surprise me. Um, my mum's parents, I, I didn't particularly want them there anyway because they'd, they'd abused me as a child. So, you know, I, I wasn't overly fussed about them not being at my wedding. But my mum didn't come because uh, she didn't want me to invite my stepdad. Um, and she wanted me to give his spot to her new partner. And I was like, I've not even, I hadn't even met the guy at the time. 
and I was like, this is my my wedding. <laughs> you know, this is my my day. So after that, I was even further estranged from my family than I, I was before. But I was also feeling unfulfilled because I had left home, as I said, at sort of 17, 18. I didn't have the opportunity to, to really do any further education and go to university. So I kind of just had to start working straight away. And unfortunately, having gifted a gab and no real qualifications, the only thing I could get were sales roles. And inevitably that meant getting taken advantage of, you know, where companies, they, they, they want young people, you know, where they can work them to the bone, you know, and churn you out, get somebody else in. You're nothing special to them, you're just a number. And I'd gotten to the point where I was like, I, I can't sort of keep living my life this way, I need a sustainable job, but I've never had the opportunity to find one because I always have to take the first thing that comes along So I've got to keep a roof over my head. There's nobody helping me out financially or saying to me, look, come do this, sit with us, you know, like spend a year if you have to, just focus on getting a good career. I had to take. And then you find yourself in this sort of circle, this, this vicious cycle where you end up only being able to get those jobs because that's all that people think you can do. And my now ex-wife, uh, wife at the time, she kept getting made redundant from jobs. So I'd funded her and advised her on doing a, a CIPD course mm. so that she would have a, a professional qualification. She, like me at the time, only had GCSEs uh, as her qualifications. <coughs> so I funded her to do that. Um, and then she, she ended up getting a really good job off the back of it, which she didn't want. I convinced her to take it and she ended up loving it. Was earning really good money and um, said to me, okay, it's, it's your turn now. You know, go get yourself a degree or whatever it might be. Follow your career path and, and I'll support you. Unfortunately, um, she obviously wasn't um, willing to, to live up to her promises. And the, the new job had kind of um, she got she got involved in that air quotation marks kind of London lifestyle you know going out after work two three four times a week I mean I don't drink obviously being brought up you know by alcoholics and, and being around people that are, are nasty drunks certainly uh, has never made me a big fan of drinking and uh, I was what I had to do because I didn't have the qualifications to, to start a degree straight away. I had to talk my way onto a HND course. Uh, originally they wanted me to do an access course, but they didn't have the numbers. And then they wasn't gonna let me do anything at all. And then I talked them into it and they said, okay, you'll be our wild card, but you're two, three years behind everybody else. I ended up finishing with a distinction in every unit, won two awards for excellence in media. And, you know, um, I think I could, you know, without sounding arrogant, comfortably say I was top of the class. Um, and then I parlayed those two years into an equivalent of first two years of a degree. So I went straight into the third year at Greenwich University. And here is where things really got tough for me and the traumatic, so I think I'm still suffering from now. And well, I think I'm still suffering with all of it, if I'm being honest with you, but this is the most recent and the one that I don't think I've still gotten out of the woods, so to speak, and I, and I do use the woods because obviously, as we know, you know that was um, a very traumatic experience for myself. And what had happened, so I, I'd, I'd parlayed it 
into the first two years, went to go do the third year. And uh, the way, that I, I assume you've, you've been to university, you understand how the, the credits were, yeah. Uh, so you have 90 credits is what, what makes up your final grade, but it's out of a potential 120. So you, they'll pick your best, and, and a unit might be 30 credits, and you might get marked as a 2-1 for that, for example. So if you have three two ones, you'll end up with a 2-1. Now, the way, because I was doing a media course, the way it worked at Greenwich was we had to do a, a group project, which accounted for 60 credits of the 90. It had to be 60 of my 90. But the problem is I was going straight into the third year. So everybody else had already been working on their projects for two years and all had their teams, which meant the people that I had to work with were those that couldn't get a team in two years. And I still, to this day, don't understand why the majority of them were there. They seemed to have no interest in media. They had no drive to, to get anything done. But the reason I, I, I sort of prefixed the, what I'm about to say with that aspect first is so you understand how the timing couldn't have been worse for me. So I'm going into the third year. I realised that, okay, I've got to work hard. I've, I've worked really hard to get to this degree. I should really walk away with a first, you know, based on, on my individual work. And uh, my now ex-wife uh, at the time um, tells me that uh, you know the marriage is over, and uh, it turns out she was having an affair uh, with somebody that she was working with. Um, she'd actually got them a job, and you look back on these things. And it was so she used to talk about him all the time, you know, and it wasn't because I was I had to work really hard because I didn't have the time to do H and D and then go start for the first you know first year of a three. Year, I couldn't do five years. I needed to do it in three, so I had to work hard. So I kind of, I suppose, didn't pick up on the signals. But just as I'm going into the third year, and remember, I have no financial support, no family support or anything, and she'd convinced me to stop doing my part-time job. And I didn't realise what she was doing at the time, but she'd convinced me to do it so that, because we were going for a mortgage application, she was like, oh, well, you know, don't, don't do your part-time job, focus on that, I'll just put my name on the mortgage application, put my name on the car, put my name on everything. And obviously it was a slow build. You know, she, she knew exactly what she was doing and she was slowly cutting me out of everything. So when she delivered the news that the marriage was over, I didn't have a leg to stand on anywhere. So as I'm going into this, this third year, she, she announces that and uh, she makes me homeless. She, she says, I have to leave the house. You know, I, I wasn't even allowed to go back in and get my stuff. Um, she took the car from me. She had all our savings. She, she took that. Um, left me with, with nothing. Um, now, of course, I've got no family. So I didn't really have anybody I could go to. or, or And also, it's really difficult to, to talk about that as well. You know, to say, oh, here's this person that was supposed to, you know, love me in, you know, in sickness and in health and... and sort of support me and somebody that up until that point other than my my current partner who I've opened up to far more than I ever did my ex-wife but at the time she was the only one that really knew everything I'd been through and understood how how difficult things were for me and she also knew how difficult this third year would be and the fact that the reason I was doing it was so that I could get out of this vicious cycle and I could find something that would get me out of bed in the morning because um we certainly in that marriage we were never going to have kids she didn't want them 
she didn't tell me this at the start. It was always a delayed thing. When we got together, it's like, oh, I don't want kids until this age. And then we'd get closer to that age. And then it would be like, oh, I don't want them until now. And eventually it was, I don't want kids at all. Which is obviously quite quite hard for me. But I thought, okay, I'll throw myself into into a career which was going to be media. Um, so, so she did that. I had no money. I was trying to complete this degree. I didn't really know anybody. I d- didn't know you know, like how I was going to do this. And, and because I was doing film, it meant a lot of, it's not like I could just sit at home and write things. I had to be out there and, and do things. And I had to do the work of six people on my own because as I said, the others just didn't want to do anything at all. Um, so in, in that moment, I had said I had nowhere to go. I, had to, I hadn't spoken to my dad for two years at that point. And uh, he was the only person that offered me somewhere to stay. And um, we hadn't spoken because of what happened with my grandparents and, and my cousin's wedding. Because I said to him, I, I, I would like to have an answer from them as to why they felt it was acceptable to, to not come to my wedding, um, but go to my cousin's. And uh, his response was just to not talk to me. <laughs> um, so I went and stayed with him, um, which wasn't, uh, in, in retrospect, was a mistake. It was a big mistake because um, you had nowhere to go at the time. I had no, I had nowhere else to go. Um, but while I was there, uh, his air quotation marks new family uh, were stealing from me. Uh, they were stealing my money. They were stealing my stuff. They stole my wedding ring. Um, and uh, when I and 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 they, I was I was having to pay them rent out of my student money. Bearing in mind nobody else in the house was was paying rent. I only got a sofa. Um, but the house had, because there was people that worked nights, there was people up and down, so I couldn't get any sleep. I couldn't, there was nowhere for me to work and do my, my uni work. I'd had to move out to Hertfordshire when my, my uni was based in London, so it was costing me like you know, 25 quid a day just to get to uni. And um, I mean, most people would have, you know, at that, that level of discomfort and mm. challenge would have just thrown the towel in. Yeah, so for me, I, I kind of just, I suppose, and, and this is ultimately what led me into the woods at Christmas. Um, I just kept telling myself that, that, you know, get the degree. You've done the hard work for two years, no matter what. You know, get your degree. You, you know, you've been through all that. And um, I ended up having to, to leave my dad's because I confronted them over stealing from me. Um, subsequently, his partner has uh, been to prison since then for theft and fraud, uh, she stole from my cousin, she stole my nan's ring, uh, it was a unique ring. Um, but of course at the time nobody believed me. And they all, you know, me and my dad had fallen out. Uh, and I asked him just to back me, you know I mean? I, you know, I'm, I'm your son. And I had video evidence of them stealing from me and he didn't want to know. And um, his last words, last thing my dad ever said to me was, uh, it was nice knowing you. That was the last, last interaction we ever had. And um, so, yeah, so I had to leave there. And again, I, I, I was actually, I, I was, was dating somebody at the time who I felt like was kind of using me as their own emotional crutch, you know, and didn't seem to really care about my problems. But I just needed, if, if, looking back on it retrospectively, I just needed somewhere I, I could go to get out of that household. And when me and my dad had the falling out, he told me to pack my bags and leave again, knowing that I had nowhere to go and no money. And uh, I just paid them as well 
uh, the last of my student money for rent and, and things like that. So I didn't have any money again. Uh, so I rang up um, my my sister, who again, I've never had a good relationship with. Um, she was treated different. I think I remember telling you, really different. But I rang her up and uh, and she said I could come stay with her. So I'm now having to go to South End. Uh, again, still going to, to uni in London. And my sister is um, not a nice person. Not a nice person at all. Very, very volatile and very manipulative. And during the time that I was there, she did two things that, that really... Well, actually three things. She, she, um, she stole... I say stole. She took all my student money. All of it. Best part of two grand. Um, and she, it was because they were behind on the rent and she told me they were going to get kicked out. And then if I gave her this money, she'd pay me it back the following week. Because, of course, it didn't come back. And then uh, she convinced me to get a dog because um, she said, you need that companionship and, and, and so on. And, but I said, well, I'm, I'm going to uni at the moment. I can't look after a dog. And she was insistent that she would, her and her partner would do all the walking and stuff. The moment I brought the dog home, she was like, we're not walking it. We're not looking after it. You know, you have to find somewhere to take it during the day when you're in it. I'm thinking this is the complete opposite. What I didn't realise is that it was so that she could have a dog. So she then came to me like a day later and said, oh, well, actually, if you can give me the money to go buy a dog, then I'll feel more comfortable having your one in the house. Now, of course, I'm like a zombie at this stage. I don't know what's going on. I'm just about keeping my head above water. I need a roof over my head. I need somewhere that I can, can sort of lay my head. And um, she's then, then, so I'd given her the money for the rent given her money for the dogs I had nothing left and then it came to the first week she was supposed to start giving me money back and she was causing arguments like she threatened to stab me because I bought a new bin and uh, yes and this is it's part of what she's done her whole life she will um, borrow money or, or use people and then when it comes to having to pay it back she'll cause an argument with them and she won't pay them back so Again, I, I, I found myself in a situation and I, I would spend some nights, you know, just sleeping on the street because I didn't want to go into the house, you know. I didn't feel comfortable. I didn't feel... Um, I felt like being in the house was almost certainly going to cause an argument. Uh, and that's what she was um, She was trying to instigate. Um so I, she, and, and that's exactly what happened. She caused a, a, a massive argument and um, I said, okay, well, I'll have my money back. And of course she refused and said, uh, I won't get it. So dog in tow and trying to complete my degree, I had to go um, to my friend's house. But unfortunately, again, I, I wasn't truly comfortable there because he... Still trying to do this uni thing and I'm having to do all the work for everybody. I'll give you an example of how much work I had to do. So we had a production pack that, that had to be done for our film. And I, um, they, it was the week before it was due in, they'd done no work on it whatsoever. And four of the six then went out of the country during the time that it was, it was due in. So couldn't even do any work even if I wanted them to. And I ended up doing all the work. 
spent my whole weekend doing this production pack, went in, was like sleeping at the university. I mean, I did that many times, sleeping at the university. And um, so, I, so I've gone in, did this production pack and I, I got a first for it. And uh, they all started congratulating themselves because it was the first first they'd ever got. And they were all like amazing work. None of them said thanks to me. None of them seemed to see the irony that they'd done none of the work whatsoever and I'd done it all. And that they were congratulating themselves on their first ever first. Um, I mean, that was a theme throughout the entire time I was in uni is that they, you know, I'd give them tasks because I had to, because it was a group project and I couldn't exclude them. Uh, but they would just do nothing. And then eventually, on, you know, on the 11th hour, I would have to pick up the slack and, and do it. So here I am, I'm, I'm, I'm going through a divorce where, you know, my ex has taken everything from me and telling me that uh, I've got to sign over a, a clean break and that, um, I don't have any money and I can't fight her because she earns too much and you know that there's no way that I'll I'll you know I'll just end up spending whatever money I'd get and uh, then I had obviously my dad and, and them lot stealing from me and then all of his family not talking to me um, I actually uh, missed one vital point when I left my dad's because they were they were threatening to beat me up him and his his new family. Uh, I had to get my mum, who I hadn't spoken to since not coming to my wedding, to come and pick me up, because um, you know it was made very clear to me that you know if I didn't get out of dodge, so to speak, very quickly, that I was going to be physically harmed, and um, all because I, I dared to to stand up for myself. And uh, when my sister um, was was taken advantage of me, and then ultimately refused to pay me back and I didn't have any money, I couldn't get to uni or anything like that. I asked my mum to kind of like, you know, back me and, and help me out and, and try and get the money out of her. And she refused as she always has done and was like, oh, I'm not getting involved, I'm not picking sides. I'm like, I'm going for a divorce, I've got no money. She's taking every penny from me. You know, she was supposed to be paying me back hundred pound a week and, and things and she's like, I'm not getting involved. So I end up going to stay with my friend, but I've now got a dog with me I'm trying to go to university I've got no money whatsoever he's blind he has a guide dog my dog's causing problems with his dog you know also my dog was a, a beagle <sighs> what possessed as I said I wasn't there it was like you know I was just kind of existing if that makes sense and uh, so I knew that I, I couldn't stay there indefinitely because you know he his dog is his friend but it also he has a, a function that he has to, to to achieve, which is obviously to guide him to be, you know, obedient and so on and so forth. And my dog was very unruly because I didn't have the time. I should never have got the dog, you know. Um, so I had to go to to my brother's house, who um, is the one that we we mentioned last time. The one that I I look after a lot. So I went there, and not that, not that my friend told me I had to leave or anything like that. Um, but I could tell that it was getting to the point that he, he might have to, you know, and I didn't want it to get to that stage. So I went to go stay with my brother and because uh, he was like, oh, we can look after the dog during the day and, and so on and so forth. Um, I went there, but, but soon kind of got turned into a glorified babysitter for him. So like, you know, his kids would be up at six in the morning and I'd have to, to deal with them. And, they, you know, he might not get out of bed till 12 in the afternoon. And, and there's me, at the time, no kids having to watch, feed, clothe, everything, entertain, four kids. 
or my own. And a dog. And a dog. Uh, all whilst going through, you know, intense trauma as well and trying to get this degree sorted with people that were not pulling their weight at all. And um, so, so I'm there and again, he is similar to my sister where all of a sudden I have these things where the, the house is going to get taken away from them. We need some money. Can you give us some money? We'll, we'll give it back to you. And just like my sister, again, I'm not there at the time. I'm not able to, to think. Gave him my student money. Didn't get it back. So I'm now back to, to zero money. I'm, I'm stuck. I've got no way out. And um, I had to make the, the difficult decision to get rid of my dog because he was causing problems, you know, in the household. He was, so they would have like bowls of food and things laying around and he'd get it and they'd try to get the food off of him and he'd, you know, show some aggression towards him. He was fine with me, but, you know, and um, so I had to make the difficult decision to, to let the dog go because I only had one place to go from there and that was back to my friends. And I knew I couldn't take the dog with me. And so I, I got back the money that I'd spent on the dog that was all I had to survive on. I mean, I think it was something silly like two pound a day it worked out that I was surviving on until, you know, which didn't cover my food, didn't cover my, f- I mean, if my friend had charged me rent, I don't know what I'd have done, you know. And so I, I went back there and somehow managed to complete this degree and finished with a 2-1 because my individual work was getting a first, but the group work was getting a 2-2 because as I said, people just were not doing. I mean, my editor sat on the footage for a month before doing anything, you know, and then a week before um, we were due to hand the film in was when she decided to start on it and told me there was all these problems. I'm like, I can't do reshoots now. I can't do any of that. And uh, and then she <laughs> she wasn't there for handing day either. So I ended up having to do the edit myself in the last 24 hours and things like that. Just, I mean, I don't know if you know much about the filmmaking protest, but... No. Yeah, it's a lot involved. So I had to. I did all the the casting. I did all the location scouting. I ended up writing the script because my scriptwriter sat on the script for ten weeks without writing a single page, and I ended up doing a lot of the camera work. I had to edit it. I, I did everything, but uh, the credit is then shared equally. But because I had to, because it was a group project, I couldn't just do it. I had to leave them. So, so for example, with the editor, I had to give her the footage to edit. And, and and had to leave it to the point where I had to take over because it wasn't going to get done. Um, I spoke with my tutors and I, I I must admit I felt that Greenwich University were um, quite poor, to, to be honest with you. They, they were well aware of my situation, offered me no help whatsoever. I spoke to them several times and told them that the others are not pulling their weight, you know, I'm doing all the work and they offered me no out it wasn't until like the last week they said oh you you could have done a written piece i'm like you're telling me this now but then when i graduated the the head uh, of it all and my um what they called like supervisor said oh thanks for sticking with the film if it wasn't for you all of the others wouldn't have graduated so that's they didn't care about me they cared about their graduation numbers and rather than having one person graduate for their written work they managed to get six people graduate through me doing all of the the hard work. So I'm I'm, I'm back at my friends, and um, I end up getting in touch with my now partner, who was a, a 
a previous girlfriend from when I was a kid. But we'd split up because she lived in Brentwood, I lived in Basildon, and she, you know, I just couldn't get to see her. I didn't have any money, and, and it was difficult. And then I was a kid as well. You know, I, I didn't have the emotional intelligence that I like to think I have now. And uh, so we got in touch, and we, we kind of started talking and, and, and dating, but nothing too serious because I was aware that I wasn't capable or ready for that. And certainly not whilst I was still trying to complete my degree. And then when I I completed my degree and um, I was kind of staying at that point between my brothers and, and my friends, kind of depending on because sometimes, as I said, I was having to stay overnight at university and things wouldn't get back to like say three, four in the morning, things like that. So I couldn't really go to my friend's house. So I'd have to go to my brother's. And um, we did all that and Obviously, I finished my degree, but I had no money now. And I had no real way of rebuilding, and I couldn't couldn't get a job. I couldn't, you know, nobody would, would offer me anything. Even though I had awards, I'd, I'd got a degree, nobody was offering me anything in, in media at all. And Do you find that that's quite, uh, you know, individuals that I've known that have done similar degrees find that, um, that it's quite a difficult industry to break, but on top of everything you've gone through as well, you then come out of that degree, and yeah, it's hard. Well, wh- when I when I got into degree, obviously I, I was married at the time. And the whole idea was that it was okay to go after a, an industry that was difficult because we've got this solid foundation here, and you know she was earning good money and she was going to support me and, and so on and so forth. It wasn't conducive with where my life was post yeah where it ended and I suppose part of that you know it's it's such a uh, you know the story that that plays out is is one that you know you think well surely that's it now and you'll get the break and then something else comes along as well and I suppose what we should say and, and the important part of the show is people being able to share that narrative and and what they're going through and and the response that we have in relation to other people's actions as well and um i suppose you know in the interest of your your ex as well she's um uh you know she she will have her side of things and, mm, and of course, that as yeah. well and yeah. it's um but but that's that you know that's why the show's here for us to to understand your journey and where you got to mm. what's really interesting uh to to see is the one thing through all of that chaos and that difficulty is that the degree, even though it was challenging you, not academically, but but mm. circumstances again, mm. that purpose that it was delivering was. It sounds as though it was what was keeping you afloat. Absolutely, with it was it was my boy in the sea, mm. you know. Uh, and, me, and media and film, like we said at the last time we met and we spoke, is such an important part mm. of your it, life. I, it transports me. I, I I live in that world for those two hours or, mm. or whatever it is. And in fact, actually, usually post. Those two hours. Very hard for me to get out of the, mm. the mindset, which is a good I love. Film. Well, my favourite genre of film is is coming of age stories, mm. and the reason being is is you know it normally has a happy ending, and you get to to go on a journey with the characters and see them grow and and see them go through a, a multitude of different emotions. Um, you know, so so it's it, you know, and because I live in that world, it makes me feel good for a little while afterwards. And <laughs> well, I was going to you know your story from our previous show and and where we've kicked off today is is. Almost, is that is that very much a coming of age story, isn't it? And 
you know, one that um, from a movie perspective we can all relate to, really. Yeah, um, unfortunately, I haven't got the happy ending yet. <laughs> so. Well, it's well. Listen, I tell you what we're going to do. Let's let's take a quick break. Uh, everyone can refill their glasses, click the kettle down again, and and uh, join me after this, where um, Gary will be sharing uh, the ongoing sort of. Yeah, I'll, I'll bring you kind of just succinctly to the end of that because um, I, I suppose I'll just quickly before the mm. break, I'll bring it to the bring a draw or an end to to, to that thing, and then we can just kind of focus on more recent and what I'm going to attempt to do, what I think could be an answer for me. Mm. Um, so so just to, to bring it to a close, uh, I'd, I'd obviously completed the degree. Then because I had no money and I had nowhere to stay and I had no, I had nothing, I was building again. I was I just hit 30 mm. and I was having to start life again. And nobody was giving me a job in nothing. You know, I, and I've, I wasn't even just looking at media, I was looking, you know, like admin jobs, anything, you know, that wasn't sales. But the only thing I could get was sales. And I went for a very, very difficult recruitment process for a job that was supposed to be amazing, give me all these qualifications. And first day in there, they essentially handed me a yellow pages and went, okay, start calling. And, uh, and then I was stuck there for six months with a, a boss who uh, couldn't have been more like, you know, a, a David Brent style boss if, if he tried you know really just had no concept of of what was going on around him and, and it was like he was from the 80s you know and because he had a tough time he was going to give me a tough time kind of thing and um and that's so the reason i started this show by going through that most sort of recent traumatic experience is that there i was i'd gone through all that the degree was the one thing that was keeping me going and then i'd got it and i couldn't use it and I was back to where I was before I'd started all of it. So I'd gone through all of this trauma for nothing. You know, I was back doing a sales job that I was doing beforehand, unappreciated, just a number, you know, cold caller. And um, that's why at Christmas, obviously by this point now, I'm not, I don't speak to my mum because she sided with my sister. Um, I, I'm not talking about dad because him and his, his family had been stealing from me and, by proxy my, my grandparents on both sides as well and then I, I found out I was expecting my first child and uh, it was all too much for me and I got to Christmas and I have no family I've got nobody called me nobody talking to me and um, you know I, I just snapped and uh, as we know from last show I, I, it, I, I went to the woods near me with the intention of never coming out of it again and um, I, I just about made it out and uh, that that kind of I suppose was the the peak uh, of, of the trauma um, and since then it's been a case of really trying to work out who I am now you know what how has it affected me and then what what can I do to try and break this cycle? You know, what, what, what Einstein says doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results is madness, or he says madness is <laughs> doing, you know. So I'm, I'm looking at going, what, what can I change? What can I kind of just accept is, is part of life? So that's what I'd like to talk about in, in the second part. So people understand the trauma I've been through. That's why I wanted to, not just my trauma from my childhood, it's been recent as well. Well, it you know. carries through, doesn't it? It carries okay. through. It it's never stopped. No. It's never no. stopped. It's it's really hard to get out of bed in the morning. Really, really hard. 
And um, as I said, as I was saying to you off air, I could be happy and I could be walking along and it's like somebody's flipped a switch and I, I just, I want to disappear and I never want to be seen again. And uh, But I, I think I might have a, not necessarily a concrete answer, but I got something I'd like to say to people that I think could help them. If, if it, even if it doesn't help me. Well, I think that's, um, that I'm very excited to hear. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's take a short break. As I say, fill your teacups up again, grab yourself a coffee and, uh, join us after this where we'll be, uh, we'll be hearing the sort of last part of, uh, Gary's story. It helps me out, you push me back Won't slow down, down, down Won't slow down, down, down Now I get knocked down It helps me see, no need for stress Well, we'll be, we'll be, we'll be We'll be, we'll be, we'll be When you feel down and lonely when you feel like you're lost When you fall off the tracks I'm here to pick you up And we'll slow down, slow down, slow down Slow down, slow down, slow down Slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down. Oh, my, my Slow down
on 98FM and online. This is Phoenix FM. Yes, it's... Yes, it's me, James Roast. Uh, you join me on the Happiness Algorithm with my guest today, which is Gary Dudman, um, and uh, him sharing his, his really uh, incredible uh, and challenging and testing story there. Um, just almost mesmerised by what you've been through. And as I say, to go through show one and, and hear the first part of your interview in those er- the, the early childhood and what you faced and what you was up against. And as you say, those those words just, just ring true, that sense of isolation, abandonment and let down. And then to, to bring it into sort of early adulthood and still... Um, <laughs> still that abundance of being let down in isolation and abandonment again is is frightening and and to to see that you're still sitting here today is a real testament to you i have to say gary and 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 hopefully you know those out there listening um as i say can relate to some of that the the story themselves the specifics of it excuse me the specifics are you know they're quite honestly they're they're really quite harrowing and and i think that the, the level of resilience that you must have the thing is obviously I, I, I've, as I said to you before I've not told you everything yeah. um, I mean I've maybe told you 20-30% of what I've had to go through some of it's too painful to talk about too, too painful I mean there's probably only one person in this entire world that, that knows everything maybe not even that to be honest I've been who, my, my, my part my current partner but I think actually the more I think about it, I'm like, I don't think she knows everything um, I mean yeah so to like some of the stuff that that I've I've told you as I said if that sounds harrowing th- there's much worse there as I said to you I've, I've experienced every form of abuse um, that, that you can imagine um, but I don't particularly want to go through that if if I'm being honest with you no no of course um, I've got personal issues that as I said only only one person in this world knows about um, do you think that, that, that that's important do you think that every, what you've been through and and the story and quite rightly you know look we are we are on air and I think that there's you know Freud said that, um, that there's an there's a part of us considered to be our secret self um, that that it, that we don't have to share. Um, he said that there was a quadrant of there was our secret self, our private self, our public self, and our unknown self. He said there was those there was only ever two parts that caused us the problem. One was our secret self, mm-hmm. and one was our unknown self. Um, and the unknown self is the bit that everybody else knows about us, and we don't. That's what we struggle with. Right. Um, but but when you when you um, talk through your story and you reflect upon it, how important is it? Do you think that there is someone else on the planet? your current wife now uh, not not wife but <laughs> sorry your partner now yeah. who um that knows more about you more about you than anybody else it's it's very very important but it's also exceptionally scary mm. exceptionally scary because you know when you live a life of, of isolation and abandonment and all the people in the world you know as i said you last time i didn't ask to be born um you know but yet the two people that, that brought me into this world have probably let me down more than anybody else and if they're able to abandon you, if they're able to isolate you, if they're able to, you know, abuse you, then you, you don't feel it's a stretch for anybody else to do it. So when it happened, and as we discussed, I'm sure my ex-wife had her own reasons, you know, and I'm sure if she told the story, it would, it would fare slightly differently. You, you know, uh, and I often I'll say that no one's born bad. 
you know, we're, we're a product of the environment where... I said to my partner last night that I think everybody's born as like a piece of clay. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. every situation or circumstance or interaction we have throughout our lives chips away at that clay and molds us into the person that we end up being. And that now how we decided to, to use what we become is still up to us to a certain degree. Well, I remember the last show I said that we're all a product of our past, but it doesn't define who we are. And yes. you, you corrected me on that and said, well, you know what? Actually, it does, but we have a choice over... Absolutely. And that's the way I look at it. I'm like, okay, so I've been chipped away. Life's interaction circumstances have made me who I am, um, but it's up to me how I decide to deal with that. But I'd also, I would like to correct that ever so slightly myself, even if that. I think what I've realised certainly over the last month, because I, coming on your show was the first time I really had to acknowledge the most recent trauma that I'd been through and expose myself or having that feeling of, of, of being exposed. And what I realised is that, yes, you don't, it doesn't need to define, you can still choose what you do with your life. But unfortunately, when... You've been through traumatic things. And this is why, I, why, again, I wanted to come on and talk to people, is that it's, you will, it still will hit you. You know, you can't be happy all the time. And I think that the pursuit of eternal happiness um, is one that will ultimately lead into depression mm-hmm. because it, it cannot be achieved. And I think that although I don't let it define who I am and I don't let it define how I react in certain situations, it does still have an impact on me that's outside of my control. So we're talking... Tell me a bit more about that. So, so as I said, like, like last night, I, um, I had... Uh, well, I, I, I call it being in a, you know, even a dark place, you know, uh, or not in a good place. And um, so yesterday I was fine during the day, uh, you know, getting off, got my kids around and stuff. And then, like a switch, you know, suddenly I felt terrible. You know, and suddenly I, I, I really didn't want to be around anymore. And nothing had happened to me, nothing. Nobody had done anything to me. Nobody had said anything to me. Um, and that, that, that's where it, it has a control over me. That's that's out. That's, well, it's a control over me. So of course it's outside of my control. But where I decided to to take control back and how I tried to to fight it is coming in today. You know, and I knew that. It was going to be difficult to get out of bed in the morning, um, but I, I knew that I had to, you know, and, and, I, and I had to get up and I had to, to deal with the day. Where, and do you, where do you find that voice then? That, you know, for others that, that in similar positions that wake up and think, I, I can't, I just can't do today. So, so this is this is a brilliant little segue there, I must say, uh, James. I'm very, very impressed with that because you, you got me. I mean, I because we've had the problems. I think I've probably gone off on tangents or a little bit more long-winded than I would have preferred to today, as, as I've sort of uh, covered it. But that is a, a nice little link. And, and actually, I, I tend to not prepare too much for shows. Not I, I do the research I need to. I know exactly what I'm going to say, uh, but I prefer free-form talking, which is what I do with my mm. show now. And I'll do a little plug on that at the end of, yeah, of, of this show. Because um, that's my conversation is, even above film and TV is my biggest Your passion. Your forte. Yeah, it's my forte, but it's what I'm good at and it's also what I enjoy the most mm. is talking. So this is why, I, when, I, when I sat down and I knew I was coming back in again, 
and I looked at everything that had happened to me over the last week and over the last month or so. Mm. You know, obviously I'd had that difficult Christmas period and I've been searching for answers, searching for that thing that will make me happy, thing that will, that will give me a drive, a purpose. And I, re- and, you know, I, I one day it was yoga, and the next day it was no sugar, and the next day it was sleeping more, and, and they all individually, and I will come back to that, I believe will have a purpose. But none of them were working because I'm looking for answers externally, and I need to look for answers internally. And the only way, and, and doing your show made me confront the most recent trauma and how much it actually affected me and how difficult the the journey I'd, I'd been through just to survive was. And I realized that it had affected me and it had changed me again. And a resilience that I'd built up over years because I'd been let down by this person that, that knew everything about me, knew about my isolation, my abandonment. And as I said, regardless of the story side of it, because I, I, I want to be fair as well and say that I'm sure my ex-wife has her own reasons for it. But the facts still remain that during a, a very pivotal moment in my life, I was abandoned. And um, it, it was very difficult for me to have to confront that again. And, and it did, it's changed me. So what I realised and what I wanted to say to people listening and those that have been through traumatic experiences and those that are still going through a traumatic experience is to be accepting of who you are. So I know that I am somebody that will probably be affected by my trauma for the rest of my life. I'm somebody that who can have manic highs and manic lows. I'm somebody that during those lows will push everybody away because that to me has always been the inevitability of what happened to me. I'm somebody who can be overwhelmingly enthusiastic and happy and and energetic, but it's not a constant. Uh, And what I needed to do, first of all, and what I would like everybody out there listening to do, is to accept who they are. Because there's no such thing as the average person. When I was in school, I did study sociology and the social norm and how society and and I think social media in this day and age plays a big part in this a negative part uh, may I prefix and that's that there's this idea of what the average person should be or what a normal person should be or what success looks like or what happiness looks like and the truth is is that we as human beings are as individual as our fingerprints there are no two alike even if you're twins you know, you're not the same. You're living your own experiences. You're living your own circumstances. You're living your own journey. And only you have experienced that journey. That's where the expression, until you've walked a mile in somebody's shoes, you know, but even walking a mile in their shoes will not give you the full understanding. And what I had to do is I had to accept, and, and, and it was a difficult acceptance, and it's, as I said, what I want other people to do, accept that, you know, I'm not like your stereotypical person. I've been through too much. I, I probably never will find that constant calm, if you like. But I have to be accepting of who I am. And I have to accept what's going on internally. Once I did that, I started looking at things and saying, okay, I know that I will have my ups and my downs. I know that. I know that there might not be any reason or, or, or rhyme to it. But 
I still get my ups. And I've still got some bright sparks in my life. And something that you said at the, the, the beginning of the show, how writing down those individual moments of, of happiness and things like that. Well, I do have my son now. And, you know, I, I experienced a love for him I never thought was, was possible. And last night when I was in a, in a bad place, you know, I just sat there and, and, and watched him sleep. Even though he then woke up several times for the night and made sure I got no sleep, um, which you know is, is difficult. But I think coming to that acceptance that okay, you know maybe I'm not air quotation marks perfect, or you know maybe maybe I am unwell. But if I accept that I can do something about it, and I can accept that if I am up and down, that to kind of not listen to myself too much when I am down, you know, because no, they always say no, no good decision is ever made in anger. And I think mm-hmm. the same is, and I don't know quite how to articulate succinctly the emotions that I'm going through at the time, but it's the same. No good decision I've ever made has ever been made when I'm down, mm. you know, ever been made when, when I'm not feeling great. And by knowing that, by knowing that I have these manic ups and these manic downs, and knowing that when I'm down, I have this tendency to push people away. And I have this tendency to, to go it alone and to want to be removed from everything. And I have a tendency to be self-destructive during those periods. By accepting that I'm like that, I know that no decision or no thought process I'm going through when I'm down, when I'm low, when I'm in a dark place is the right one. Mm that no decision that I want to make during that period is going to be a positive one because my mind is not in a positive place. So knowing that and accepting that, I'm like, okay, you asked the question, what gets me up, what keeps me going? Well, it's knowing that it won't last forever. I will get that up again. Mm. It's like a roller coaster. If I, mm. if I go down, I'm going to come back up again. You know, it's, it's going to happen. And knowing that because that's coming back, that's when I will make my life choices. Right. You know, that's when I will look at things and say, so I'm I'm going after a new career at the moment, not really getting very far with it, which doesn't make any sense. I've got all sorts of people looking at my CV and things like that, all telling me it's great and it's amazing and, and all that stuff. Not getting anybody calling me back or anything. But I know that when I'm when I'm up it doesn't bother me too much. It's life. I'm not you know, a, a job will help my family, but it's not the be all and end all, you know. And but when I'm down, I feel like it is, you know. So I know to only focus on, even when I'm down, I try to remember and try to remind myself, what were you thinking when you were happy? What were you thinking when you were up? Remember those thoughts. And if if I can't, as if I'm, if I'm so low that I can't even remember the positives, then I will ensure that I... I don't take any actions, or I try my best not to. I'm not, I'm not perfect, but I try not to take any actions that could have long-term. So I might take myself away and go asleep early, or, or something like that. Um, so for me, I think that, that's, that was the first, or, or I feel like for me is the first step for me, is to accept who I am, how I work as an individual, not how everybody else works, not what's worked for them. Now that I know that, I kind of feel like I'm starting. And, and the fact that I have accepted that I have been through another trauma and another very traumatic experience and that it 
may I may never get over it. it may take me years to to get over it, but I only only focus on on the positive. And with that in mind, uh, that sort of got me to realise in those other things that I could do to elicit happiness. So we were talking off air uh, about Professor Matthew Walker. We were, we were yes. indeed. Who is uh, the sleep diplomat, I believe is his um, social media handle. <laughs> and I realised, and, and recently I started doing an eight hour sleep challenge um, <laughs> You did. I did. And it's on your um, it's on your social media handle, on your Instagram account, it, which, it which is. is. Uh, well, I, all of mine are under another show now because that's my show <laughs> one, so I just put yeah. them all under the same. But I, I stopped doing that, um, mostly because it wasn't conducive with, with my life. But it had a tremendous impact. Because for years I tried to... I used to have an expression saying, I, I'm training myself to sleep as little as possible. Um, so this is for, by the way, just so I'm clear, because I know I'll go off on tangents. Um, the, what, what I'm now getting to now is one, for those listening that, have, mm. that can relate, that have been through similar journeys, is first the acceptance. And now some things that you could possibly try mm. that might give you more moments of happiness. Before we come on to the, the, the sort of specific interventions... Mm. Like this, like the sleep, because I think that this, I, I think sequentially it's lovely. I think because, but what you, sh- what you hit upon there, I want to sort of just expand on with regards to that mm-hmm. sense of accept- acceptance. And I know when we spoke before, and actually it's come up on previous shows about authenticity, um, and and looking at how we sort of at the top of the show today, the the need to be better observer observers of self, mm. and. Um, that was what you've done. You know, you've you've looked inward. I think that that phrase there is such an underrated phrase, if I'm honest. And I think from a clinical perspective, one of the things that I'm often encouraging people to do is look inwards. Too frequently do we get lost in, uh, we, you know, look, I'm not going to keep saying it, but we, we do live in a symptom-driven culture and we, we become too preoccupied with symptoms and so therefore we look for the tools that will alleviate those symptoms. Mm-hmm. So we reach out into the world for, you know, certain specific measures that will reduce that. But I think what you, what you touch upon there, people um, should really explore a little bit further which is that looking inwards and that acceptance of self so on that note how easy was that for you is it something you feel you should have done a long time ago do you think you was emotionally robust enough or do you think it was an organic process at the point that you had to do it sort of now Oh, that's a tough question. That is a lot of questions. <laughs> I realised as I was speaking, wow, you know, what ones are you going to pick? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, which one am I going to yeah. pick? Um, and it's a dangerous game you're playing, giving me multiple questions of only 20 minutes of our show left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so organic is the answer. Uh, I'm, I'm going to try and be succinct here. It was organic how I came to it. It was very difficult. Was I emotionally robust enough um, to, to do it earlier? Probably not. No, I wouldn't necessarily say emotionally robust is the right word. I'd say emotionally mature enough to to be able to to be so self-critical and self-aware, um, and to look and say like what I did, you know, with my partner, and I said to look, I'm I'm might be air quotation marks broken for for the rest of my life. Um, I've come to accept that. I need to know that you accept that. You know, on that on that note, sorry to interject yeah, again, Gary, because I think that word "broken" is a really interesting 
term to use and, and, and I know we, we've said this before but I often say to the individuals that I work with that nobody's broken you know it's the world that's broken and it's how we sort of respond to it but I do often find myself saying that when we've been through trauma or tragic events it's a bit like a, a cup it, yeah. it, it can shatter we can glue it back together mm. but the cup still still broken still broken but yeah. it does its job yeah it's exactly still, you know, and so, or even without it being shattered it's been chipped away at mm. you know it can still hold the, the tea if that's what you're mm. drinking of other drinks are available yeah, yeah. Um, but it's, it's the chips are there and the, I suppose in essence what you're saying it's about not then looking for a perfect cup or replacing it this exactly. is what it is it's the yeah, character of it exactly I've, I've accepted where I am now I've accepted that I'll have my ups and I'll have my downs I've accepted that um, you know, I have this tendency to push people away. I've accepted that because of everything I've been through, that's kind of unknowingly um, forced me into having certain characteristics that I didn't realise because they were survival characteristics. But by by doing that and accepting, okay, I am this cup that's been patched back together. I can't get a new cup. I can't replace it. So I've got to make do with what I've got. And how do I get the best out of this cup? Well, if it's got a load of chips around the other side, I just drink from the opposite side. That, that's what I do. I avoid the chips. It's still going to hold the liquid. So for me, once I once I accepted that, and once now, as you said, you said you say to to a lot of people that it's society that's broken. But I think the real acceptance was accepting and being comfortable with the fact that I felt I was broken, but that didn't mean I had no value left. It didn't mean I didn't serve a purpose anymore, and that by being self-critical and understanding where those chips were, knowing what side I needed to drink out of the cup would allow me to, to, to move forward in a positive way. And, and that's where I, I looked into things like, as I said, sleep, which uh, I tried to train myself to do, to, to live on sub six hours. And if you do any research into sleep, you'll realize that that couldn't have been a worse thing that I was trying to do. Well, we are, we're the, uh, it may say it in, in the book, yeah. uh, we're the only mammals that uh, deprive ourselves of sleep. I know. Madness. I know. Yeah, it is madness. And look, if sleep wasn't that important, then it's the single biggest mistake Mother Nature ever made because there is not an animal alive that doesn't sleep. For sure. And so once I, I realised that and I was having a good week, but unfortunately I, I tried to take on too much and I was doing this sleep challenge, which is difficult because I have a... An eight-month-old son who's teething at the moment. He's never been a great sleeper. He doesn't really help it. But then my, my partner who's working, I can't really expect her to cover the night feeds just so I can get eight hours sleep. Uh, but it, in the time that I was able to do it, and this for, for all those out there that are struggling and looking for something that might be able to help them, I can't guarantee any success. I can't. I can only give you some options. Well, I, t I tell you what, hold those yeah. top tips. Yeah. Because yeah. breaking news. Oh, breaking news! The computer's working. Oh, amazing! <laughs> so uh, I think it would be unfair not to play uh, one of your songs, and so I think yeah. what we'll do, we'll go to, we'll take another break. Yep. Uh, we will go to uh, choose one of your songs because when then we can play out with one of your songs as well. Yeah. Um, and uh, then we can come back for the final part of the show where we where we will be hearing. Um, Gary's tips and advice yes um, for what people can take away not just for the rest week but, but for, yeah. for this moment on from uh, now and always it's something to say that 
if you if you listen to my story and think, wow, how is he still here? Knowing that I've only told you thirty percent, if that, yeah, yeah, that that if I can still get up in the morning, so can you, you know, yeah, and that life is worth living. It is, it is. This is the Happy Now Algorithm with me, James Roast. Uh, join us after this. When I wake up in the morning, love And the sunlight hurts my eyes And something without warning, love Bears heavy on my mind Then I look at you And the world's all right with me Just one look at you And I know it's gonna be A lovely Da 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 da
Welcome back to the Happiness Algorithm with me, James Roast, and that was Bill Withers' lovely day. And I'm really pleased that we managed to get the system rebooted and, and got to play one of your songs. Uh, joining me in the studio, studio still is Gary Dudman. That was one of his choices. Um, and we're going to be playing out with another one of your choices to close the show, I'm pleased to say. Um, sadly, one's been chalked off, but uh, I'll look at next week getting that one going. Or play it on Sunday on your show on another on another show. Yes. Um, okay, so Gary joins me for the final part of the show where he is going to share some of his learning, his experience, what he's, you know, we've heard what he's been through in life um, and what he can take from that. And over these last few weeks since I last saw Gary, it has been a period of almost experimentation with sleep and sugar and Yeah, there's, there's been a lot. Um, that, that I've done. And as I said, all because once I accepted who I was and, and, and how I was, I was like, okay, now I can start working on some other things. And... There's, there's two sort of categories that I'm going to put them into because I'm mindful of the time here. So apologies if I if I don't go into great detail here and I'm kind of asking people to look into stuff a little bit more. But there's four physical things that I think for anybody that is experienced or has experienced trauma, is experiencing trauma or, or, or deals with anxiety or any kind of mental health issues, I think these four things can really help. Number one is sleep. There's a professor called Matthew Walker um, is it the, the book called Why We Sleep? Is that right? Yep, yep. yep. Uh, go check it out and you'll realise um, how fundamental he- uh, sleep is to mental health and how it affects the brain. And there's ties now to you know lack of sleep with Alzheimer's, with dementia. They're, they're kind of fairly certain that that's what's causing it. Um, and obviously society doesn't necessarily allow us to sleep uh, eight hours. But really try not to... If you're going to look for happiness and you're going to squeeze things in your life, don't squeeze your sleep. Here, here. Don't squeeze your sleep because that will make a big, big difference. And when I did my eight-hour sleep challenge, I was feeling great for the first week. But I couldn't keep doing it because I have an eight-month-old who's teething. Uh, my partner works. I needed to be able to help out. Um, and I took on too much at uh, once. And again, it, I suppose it comes back to what you alluded to at the second part of the show. It's the acceptance of that. It's being able to recognise that there are these competing demands and we must be able to just not juggle them such but make sure that there's a level of importance that an attention that we're giving to sleep exactly. now as i said i took on too much at the time and i will be going back to to ensuring i get good night's sleep and, and the practices mm. but maybe taking things step by step and that's yeah. the other advice for people is it ain't gonna all come in one go it's not all gonna happen overnight rome wasn't built in a day mm-hmm. so take things step by step because if you take on too much you'll end up collapsing and you'll end up doing none of it. Next thing was I gave up sugar because sugar was, uh, it affects your brain and and uh, the release of dopamine the same way that mm. heroin, cocaine, meth, they mm. now know this. Um, it's also a probable carcinogenic as well. Uh, so is lack of sleep actually. World Health Organization has classified uh, night shift working as a probable mm. carcinogenic. So I, I decided to cut out sugar because it was giving me ups and downs throughout the day um and as i said releasing dopamine that that was really tough that's that's what knocked me for six because it was like going through a withdrawal yeah. coming off of that because i was eating close to 100 grams of sugar a day the yeah i know yeah the, your, your your face says it all i was 10 times minimum the daily allowance was what i was recommend daily allowance so i had a real bad sugar but then when i was growing up i wasn't fed i had to feed myself sugar sandwiches yeah. you know so that's kind of part of that yoga stretch physical activity now yoga is something that everybody can do you don't have to be strong to do yoga you do it at your pace but again it's another way to naturally release 
uh, endorphins uh, and, and dopamine into your body to, to make you feel good. And it does make me feel But again, these last two might not work for everybody. The first mm. two I do believe will work mm. for everybody. Last two maybe not. And then meditation. Mm. Trying to, and, and accepting that your brain might, not everybody can just sit down and think of nothing. It takes time, it takes practice. Yeah. And you know, you've got that tiger in your head bouncing all over mm. the place. And if you cage it, it's still going to bounce all over the place just inside of the cage. Mm. So you've got to learn to, to tame that tiger in your head and learn to tame those thoughts. Tame so those, the tiger. Yeah. So those are the four kind of physical things that you can do. So through the physical again, we'll just, just chalk them off. So we've got sleep. Yeah. Um, you get minimum seven to eight hours. Uh, take things step by step. Don't overwhelm yourself and overdo it. Yeah. Um, sugar, reduction of sugar, as opposed to completely cutting it out. Keep within the recommended. Recommended allowance. Is, uh, I think six teaspoons a day. Okay. And, um, and four is sort of yoga, meditation. Yeah. Being yeah. quite mindful. Okay. And then finally, something for to help those that don't feel like they've got a purpose to get up in the morning or don't, don't feel like they've got the strength and I'm, I'm going to be really quick here. Something that I worked on, which is my trifecta, my little Tony Hart's triangle, uh, Tony Stark's triangle, to- protecting yeah, my, yeah. my heart. Going back to film again. <laughs> and uh, the trifecta is partner, family, purpose. So ensure you have a good partner. Have your own family. If you haven't got good family like me, build your own family. Mm. And then have a purpose. Because that doesn't mean, you know, when we're looking at partner family as such we're not we're not talking about the um the usual it specifics yeah you know, just what works for you have somebody that you, a life partner mm. somebody you want to spend yeah. your life with yeah have a family even an existing one or one that you build mm. yourself mm. and it doesn't need to be a biological family and then finally have a purpose mm. why are you why are you doing all of this what are you doing it all for what so for me my two purposes are my show little plug quickly, another show uh, with Gary and Daryl on every Sunday evening, 9 to 11. Mm-hmm. That's my opportunity to get things off my chest, have a laugh, tell some stories, and just make a fool of myself mm-hmm. so nobody else can do it. And I love doing it with my, my cousin. He's, he's yeah. one of my best friends. He, I enjoy talking to him, um, and it was a good way to help him out. And it's also, for me, my purpose is to build a career that I'm happy with that will make my kids, my mm-hmm. family proud, and my partner. Now, by having those three, I feel like the Tony Stark thing it protects me from anything external trying to attack mm. my heart. You know, those shards of metal trying to get in there. If you have a weakness in one of them, mm. it allows something to come in. And mm. that's the, the importance of then um, this self-awareness, the mm-hmm. constant reinvesting in self, the constant looking inwards. And I think all of them are, are really important. Like we said, partner, purpose and value for, for me, because when you're saying it, Gary, they each and all add significant value um and and will get us up in the morning um gary it's been an absolute pleasure having you back on the show uh you, you know as i said before your story is one that um is is hard to listen to at times but also truly inspirational and i think to come back and be able to share what you've shared and the the constant experimentation of what you're doing and and working out what works for you is one that i think a lot of people relate to and i do I thank you a lot for that. I really do. Um, And, you know, it's uh, because some days it is hard. It is hard. Mm. Um, Thank you all for joining me for um, another edition of the Happiness Algorithm. It's been, um, yeah, it's it's been emotional again. Um, We're back next week uh, where I've got more exciting guests lined up. Uh, We'll be talking about another challenging topic. 
that he's not often given the airtime it deserves and that is postnatal depression um, I'll be sharing more on social media so keep looking at uh, Twitter handles and uh, Instagram etc um, Gary shared his Instagram tune into Gary's show on Sunday evenings 9 to 11 another show uh, with his cousin Daryl um, it it's there guys have a happy week be good uh, we're going to play out with another one of Gary's uh, song choices this week this is uh, the four tops reach out and I'll be there Thank you.